Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the best new host and podcast show, The Calling a Man's Answers Show, live every Tuesday and Friday. If you guys have not already, make sure you subscribe to me on your favorite streaming platform to stay up to date with the show. This is episode 38 with John Gay. He's a visionary artist out of Denver, Colorado. His work focuses on ancient cultural mythology and folklore. You can find his work on most social media platforms at John Gay Art and on his website at johngayart.com. I saw your art. I don't know how I found you, but I saw, I came across your page. Uh, when I was just like looking through uh, Instagram and stuff, and I was like, dude, this would be a dope dude to talk to. So I was like, let's Hell just- yeah, I can talk, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Here, I'm gonna write, let me set you up a little higher. All right, cool. All right, dope. So, yeah, so I, just to start it off, um, I mean, good to meet you, obviously. It's- yeah, yeah, you as well, man. I, yeah. I, I'm glad you found me. Um, you know, social media is a great thing. Yeah. Uh, so I can see your beautiful art behind you. Let's just go straight into it. How did you, right. have you always been an artist um, and everything like that? Like, have you always like had a passion for art? How'd you get oh, into yeah. everything? You know? Yeah. I mean, mainly, you know, I grew up as like, I grew up as an only child. So I think a lot of my past time I'd sit in my room and draw. I used to get in trouble for drawing in class and so it was one of those things it was kind of like a crutch when i was a kid something that i always kind of did regardless if i was supposed to be studying or if i was just at home bored i was always doodling drawing something but you know it kind of like it's evolved it it kind of taught me um persistence and kind of how to learn stuff on my own without having a teacher to teach me so it was um it was fun, you know, it was a fun learning process. Sometimes I wanted to pull my hair yeah. out, of course. Yeah. Still is. <laughs> I'm fascinated by um by art and um artists and painters and everything like that because so I make music. Uh that's how I kind of started getting yeah. into like using my voice and things like that. I started mm-hmm. making music when I was in high school with my friend Jake. Um nice. and so I've always I've always like had a passion for things that are creative and everything. Um and talking to people who are creative and everything. And so Lately, I've been trying to talk to people who, so person who did my uh, cover art, his name's Oliver. I go to school with him uh, up in Oregon. Yeah. And, and it's cool to like pick br- the brains of artists because like, not that they can like see into a different realm than other people, but like, I've always been, I talked to this guy, Advice for Artists, who is a, he's basically just a writer. And he was basically, yeah. basically talking about like people like Scorsese and John Lennon and people who are like really creative and how like mm-hmm. they can like really tap into something that most normal people cannot. Do you think that? So when you're painting something, like what is going through your mind, you know? You know, there's a lot of psychology and artwork and it, it, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff you can learn about yourself and it affects everyone. I mean, everybody's creative in their own certain way. And, you know, a lot of people are fortunate enough to find their creative spark. Some are kind of unlucky. They go through life not really knowing. But the, I think everybody has a creativeness to them. And whenever you exercise it, I think that you can tap into these other little realms, these things that, you know, like like the documentary, The Secret, where you put your mind to it, you can you really manifest stuff. Um, I think that these artists maybe have tapped into these things that a normal person would find um, magical or, or something, you know, something that they couldn't normally do. Um, I mean, look at H.R. Geiger, uh, you know, they did a documentary on him. 
and he had a kind of traumatizing part of his life that he brought out a lot of his artwork and his friends were like you know we don't believe in any of all this stuff but with him he's definitely channeling something mm -hmm. that they had never I mean, his, his work's unbelievable. I mean, they made movie, the Alien movies from his work, you know. So it's, pretty, it's pretty far out there. Um, but I think that whatever you're tapping into, it, you know, if you're really into it and you're really wanting to manifest it, then you can try, you can try your best to bring it out. And so, I, think, I think it goes with any, any art yeah. form, you know. Your art is super, and I say this in a very uh, positive way, trippy. So like when I oh, was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like going through your, I was like going through your page uh, when I when I first DM'd you and then I found you again when we started to talk about it again. And then yesterday even, I was looking at it and I was like, this is just, it's like really trippy and it's really like cool because it's like, it like takes you into these weird places. Like I love art that's like that. So like, uh, I don't know if you're a fan of the show Rick and Morty, are you? Yeah, you know, I, you know I've seen a few episodes I haven't delved too, yeah. too far into it but yeah no i appreciate the show and, and what it's yeah. all about sure. i just love uh like trippy things like that so your mm -hmm. art really is is really dope could you tell me just a little bit about where your inspiration comes from or is it like different on each piece or how did where do you get that like really like drive from to create one piece of art um you know i've got like a short answer and i got a long answer we got time uh, man you can give me both. all right all right so you know, growing up, I was always really into ancient cultures, Egyptian culture, you know, Mayan, Aztec, ancient Chinese, like, uh, you know, I think it's fun for my mom. She was really into that kind of stuff. And growing up, kind of researching that, like, on my own, maybe learning stuff in history class, I guess. But, you know, I really liked uh, mythology, Grew up watching Xena, Hercules, stuff like that in the 90s. So I was like, I was really into it. And then obviously came out my artwork. And as I got older, I obviously started, you know, I, I, I was a teenager. In my early 20s, I was experimenting with drugs and certain things like that. And I'd already, I was already interested through certain, you know, uh, research classes of like Edgar Allan Poe, um, Coldridge. They all had like laudanum addictions. They since they were children, you know, it was like a medicine back then. But you take too much, it's going to cause some what of a psychoactive uh, effect to it. And a lot of it would come out in their art, in their work, their writings, or whatever art. I mean, look at Picasso, early twenties, thirties, and forties. You know, it wasn't a drug place then. You don't think of drug use being until the sixties, but. You know, there was a lot of chemicals that were around, but also like natural things, mushrooms, which have been taken since Homo sapiens been walking this planet. So, yeah, I got into that. I was interested and I, I had my own experiences and a lot of it came out my work. And it was something that it was not, of course, I had my times where I was like, I just want to go have fun. But there was a lot of times I was sprawled out on my floor, pupils dilated and trying to draw because I was experimenting at a young age, um, kind of scientifically, amateur-wise, I guess, trying to see what happens with my artwork, because I'd studied it with other artists. And now it's really come out. It's, it's, I try to depict a lot of the stuff that I had seen visual-wise, um, ge uh, geometric patterns, a lot of these crazy entities that you might come across. Um, 
and it kind of fell into that visionary art scene not that i was trying to and i think the visionary art kind of recently just kind of spawned it's kind of like um what do you call it i mean it's not psych it's psychedelic art psychedelic art you think more of the 60s but you have like actual art forms like abstract and um contemporary art and i think visionary art kind of fell into a actual form and got kind of popular and you think about art uh since the beginning of time, humans always depicted something that is around them in nature. You have still lifes, you have portraits, you have animals, you have abstract things that are around you, sailboats, trees, but it's always been something that you've seen here in nature or around you. And that, the visionary art kind of got into a part of the brain where you, that stuff doesn't exist in real life. Maybe uh, morphed buildings or rock formations with faces in them that doesn't exist maybe in fairy tales you know but that that whole stem i think comes from ancient use of psychedelics fairies trolls uh nordic gods i mean these christmas is based on the fly garrick's mushroom but a lot of people don't know this but you go far 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 back you can find the root of these stories and i think that that overall is my Conquest is to kind of the, the weirder the story is, I guarantee you the root of the story is just as weird. You just we've depressed it. You know, we don't talk about taking psychedelic mushrooms or eating anything like that as uh, as a society. But ancient times, how do you our brains were synapsing like crazy? Yeah, you know, like spark here, spark there, just experience something. And I I kind of I I give the um I get this thing of like, I ask people, do you believe in ghosts? Most people are like, no, but would you believe one if you saw it? They're probably like, yeah. <laughs> well, think about 30,000 years ago when Homo sapiens walking around and they eat a mushroom. They've never had this experience before. And they literally saw this with their own two eyes. That's going to be important to that person. And that person is going to try to tell somehow, some way, what his experience was and boom here comes belief systems religions like all this thing spawns from these personal experiences people have but you know you can't you don't really talk about that stuff you know scientists probably like to talk about it but i'm from georgia mm. you can't talk about that stuff down there you are a devil worshiper and jesus christ you know not i'm just trying to think scientifically here about a lot of this stuff that a lot of people want to yeah make up a story about i guess not that any of that's not true yeah. but i have no idea so i'm i would call myself religious uh i wouldn't say i'm like you know normal like uh like i used to go to church but like i don't anymore but i would right. call myself a, a christian like i value those right. those things but like i always think like what if like so say like what if god or the universe like my like who i who i think is the higher power right yeah put psychedelic mushrooms and and marijuana and things like that that are like synthetic or not synthetic um natural. organic yeah, yeah natural what if he put those on the earth for us to tap into some of the spiritual realms yeah i you know i'm very um i love all religions i have researched so many different backgrounds religions and belief systems that you know there's all that one core thing that there's a higher power there might be some that have multiple but i think a lot of those multiple even have another higher power that's above them you know you have the 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 greek gods but then you have the titans titans 
we're the parents of the Greek gods. So There's always one above. And, you know, I, I love to be open-minded about a lot of this stuff. And I, I agree with what you're saying. I believe that when it comes to science and our brain, our brain's powerful. We have certain receptors in our brain that are specifically for certain psychedelic plants and fungi that are on this planet. You know, it's like a lock in your brain that will never get unlocked until you take that key, which is the mushroom, and eat it, and it unlocks that part of the brain. So then, therefore, you've had this experience. Therefore, you're kind of, I like to say, smarter than the average person that has not had this experience. you just seen something that not a lot of people want to see, I guess, maybe. Some people are scared of that stuff, which is understandable. Um, I think that a lot of it is here. I think that it is meant to uh, help us ease at loss of family members, um, not be so scared of death. Uh, a lot of these things that I was terrified as a child, I am not so um, horrified by anymore. I, I feel like there is much more to happen after this um, and, and not losing a loved one, like a parent or something like that. It, it's scary to think that you might not ever see that person again or have that. But in the overall scheme of things, I don't see how that's possible. I mean, you know, you've got to be in contact again at some point, whether it's in the afterlife or whatever you believe in, you know? So, yeah, I think a lot of these things are here for us to uh, integrate with nature. I mean, we're from this earth. These things are not, you know, there's a lot of bad things on this planet that science has researched, but a lot of it has its beneficial effects. I just think we need to understand how to use a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we've kind of strayed away from a lot of it as well. Going to the pharmaceuticals and, I, you know, I, I know that whole pyramid. I get it. Um, but I also think that there's a lot of things out here that grow in the ground that will do just as fine. So hopefully in the future, we'll understand and kind of like be able to mix the two. But right now, we're not doing that very well. Yeah. Well, I will say this, though. Oregon just uh, decriminalized drugs, and they are yeah. testing um, psilocybin on mental yeah. health patients, which is okay. very cool. It's a step. Yeah. Right. I, you know, I, where I'm from in Georgia, I, I have a lot of friends that still live there, and they were kind of – uh, distraught about that whole whole thing and you know from that point of view down there they don't understand that they're thinking oh we can go up here and smoke crack and do all these things and we're not going to get in trouble it's not about doing it it's about being able to research this stuff to be able to help people but they 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 don't see that part and you know yeah. i think that that happening is amazing maps doing their thing like uh playing with these like MDMA. MDMA was synthesized the year the Titanic sank. 1912. It's old. It's been used for a hundred years, but it's just now illegal. But I think yeah. we're trying to bring it back. They used it in the 80s, and it was a I can see where it was a beneficial thing. Um, but a lot of this stuff's been around for a while. I think that it could be experimented a little bit more and tested instead of it being suppressed like it has, especially pot. I live in Denver. It's great. It's, it's nice to be able to smoke some weed and 
and not feel paranoid about doing it. So and I'd rather do that than take some kind of pill. Yeah. You know. So. You know, I think that for things that are synthetic, um, not synthetic, yeah, synthetic, like uh, yeah. pills and things like that, things that are created in a lab, that they are way worse than anything that could, oh, yeah. anything that could be um, uh, create, like not created, anything that's created naturally. So like right. uh, pot, um, mushrooms, even mm -hmm. like ayahuasca to some extent is like um, natural. Like it's from two, yeah, yeah. they created and put it into yeah. a pill, which is fascinating yeah. to me. It's amazing. It's amazing. You got millions of different species of plants right down there in the jungle, right? People, I mean, we're discovering new things every day down there. And you have a shaman who's like, I can take this root and this vine and mix it together. And then I'll make you like question your reality. How, how did you figure these two plants out out of all of this? That's amazing. I've heard stories, um, but there's no telling. I, you know, that's that ancient, ancient knowledge that we lost that i think we probably a lot of us you know a lot of our ancient ancestors probably had from living off the land but definitely i pagans with the witch hunts all that stuff you play with nature like no 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 we don't like that like so now you got the western cultures that are here and we're like wow like ayahuasca peyote like these things that these natives have been taking for so long um yeah, makes you question a lot. Yeah. Really interesting. But I, oh, go I ahead. Think, I think the problem comes from the fact that a lot of people think there's we are smarter nowadays than they were in the past. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a uh, there was a misconception about I you know, I've done a lot of research myself. We have you have Altamira, Spain, which is a cage system. It's, it, the cave system connects into France, and they found both. Well, now, it, it, up until about a week ago, it was the oldest thing we've ever uncovered by Homo sapien, and that's all the cave drawings of the animals. We've all seen them, you know, at some point in time. Those are thirty thousand years old. Um, Picasso went and looked at those, and literally said, "We've learned nothing as a species." Like they can draw just as good as I can draw. But the biggest question was like, where do they get the idea to draw? And the, that, you know, that thing was, was they, to prove that, mm -hmm. where did you get the idea to draw? If you've never seen a 2D depiction of a 3D object, where'd you get the idea to do that? Your brain hasn't functioned enough to know how to do that. Um, they brought in this devout Muslim into a gallery. This is an awesome story. Um, and, and the Muslim religion, you, you don't have any depiction of a living thing. They've never seen a picture of another human, a photograph, a painting, a drawing, never seen anything like that. And they brought him into a museum with a bunch of paintings. They were like, identify this painting. And he like looked at it, couldn't walk around and he looked at him like, how are, you, how are you to ask me what this is when I can't walk around and look at it? They're like, so you can't, you can't see what's on this painting. It was a painting of a horse. He'd seen a horse before, but he'd never seen a painting of a horse. So his brain had scribbled. It was like mush. He couldn't form it in his head. He couldn't see it. Um, so they were wondering, how did they figure out how to draw these animals? And it went to altered states of consciousness. They were 
hunter-gatherers probably ate a mushroom and tried to draw there with charcoal. They were hallucinating. And then that advanced to being able to draw proportionately correct animals 30,000 years ago. I, I can't even draw an animal now. I can paint humans, but I can't paint an animal. That's hard. So it's pretty fascinating uh, the misconception that we have about ancient cultures. And yeah. we've advanced. We're definitely smart. Um, I think that they were advancing with nature. We're advancing with technology. It's part of our evolution. I think it was bound to happen. You know, we're, we're, we're smart. We're going to do something that's going to make things easier for us. I think we've lived hunting and farming and doing all that stuff for thousands of years. Probably got tired of it. Now we're like, well, let's have something do it for us. We invented machinery. I mean, it's, it's bound to happen. We're smart. We're going to do it eventually. But it's, it's interesting about what's going to happen in the future. I'm ready for hoverboards. They've been promising that. They've been promising us that for years. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Back to ancient humans. Uh, <laughs> I think what fascinates me the most about them is the fact that they, um, like how fast we evolved as a species. Like, so if you really think about it, like, and you look at another species, you're thinking, okay, maybe dolphins are like conscious or on the level of us, octopus, things that are in the ocean that we don't right, understand. Right. Like you can't understand explain but right. then you like look at us and you're like we can like talk with cell phones and we're talking through zoom yeah. we, have, we create microphones we create right. art and not that like elephants can't paint and things like that and right. one of the coolest things i heard about elephants on one of my podcasts was they they ferment their fruit they bury their fruit come back when it's like oh yeah it's into alcohol and they get they get drunk yeah. off of it yeah it's animals are interesting when it comes yeah. to altered states of consciousness <laughs> We can get into that. Do you know any stories about animals like taking I mean, drugs? Yeah, so we'll go back and like to the Amazon about the shaman being able to find out these two, like the, the root and the vine that would fit together to make ayahuasca. Was a story was that they would watch the jaguar, and the jaguar would go bite a piece of the root and then go chew on the vine, and that's how they because it was a god. The you know before before religion, I think that ancient homo sapiens like worshiped the animals majestic creatures a lot of them that they were drawing at the time in the caves or early on all had like horns or antlers and then you think about the headdresses that they would wear as humans with horns and antlers and feathers they were like very majestic creatures that they weren't eating these animals which is a huge misconception that they thought they were drawing these animals to eat like a good hunt no, they, they weren't eating. They were worshiping these animals. So watching a lot of them, uh, like going into the Christmas story, the, the reindeer, and Santa Claus in a red and white suits, big shaman with a beard, rides around on a sleigh with a bunch of reindeer who fly, has little elves that make presents off in the North Pole. So you have like the Viking, the Nordic story. The Nordics got it from the Siberian. This is a pagan, old, Siberian then Russia where these uh these shamans would go to the edge of the forest in the tundra there's no plants would really grow except for these huge not the cypress trees we have here these are like huge pine trees like really large Christmas trees is what they looked like 
and they took up a part of the the terrain out there. And so these men would go out there hunting, you know, and they'd have a lot of little uh, Amanitas muscaria mushrooms, little red and whites growing up under these trees. So like little presents under the tree. Well, they had watched the reindeer eat these these mushrooms for the for the longest time, hundreds of years. They worshipped this reindeer. Um, you, the reindeer was a part of their culture. They used it. It moved their sleds around. You know, they were one with this deer, and uh, this deer would eat these mushrooms, and get high off of it. it. It affects them too. But they learned that if they went and ate it, it would make them sick. So they started drinking the urine from the deer because the deer had like two stomachs to filter it. But these are godly creatures to them. So they're drinking godly juice, I guess. And they would feel the effects from it. But I'm sure urine's not the best tasting thing, right? So they figured out after a while that if they would pick the mushroom, tie it up under the tree and let it dry while they were hunting in the forest, they come back, they grab the mushroom, go back to their huts, and they're snowed in. The only way to get into their hut is through the chimney spout, right? So they come in through the chimney spout and they'd hang the mushrooms up around the chimney and they would dry and then they would eat them and it wouldn't make them sick. And then they would have hallucinogenic properties and have these experiences. And these were shamans and on the solstice, they would go pass them around because they'd all eat them on the winter solstice, which is December the 21st. So it, it, it stretches out. I mean, the Christmas story to us is very normal it's common but you break it down and really think about it it's kind of weird it's a little weird story do you know how it um connected with uh christianity and jesus birth like that story how it connects with uh christianity um well so in my in a lot of my research that i've done you know we have we have the biblical story of jesus being born on december 25th I was supposed to be born on December 25th, but I didn't want to come out. So I came out three days later. Um, so I, you know, that this part of the year for me is like, I have my ups and downs. It's fun, but it's also, it's winter's depressing at times. And I didn't get to go home this year. I wasn't home for Christmas or anything like that. So um, yeah, being during that time, I think a lot of the stories would come from my like, pagan astrology, uh, the sun. A lot of people worship the sun. Um, I can really go into some, some stuff like, and it's not that it, any of it's, I think it's a lot, a lot of it's theoretical. A lot of it's theoretical. It's, it's by stories of if the Bible story isn't real, what could have happened kind of thing. Right. Um, so you have the sun in ancient times, they would draw it out as if it was sitting on a cross the suns in the middle. You have the 12 constellations around it, which is, could be the 12 followers of Christ. Sun performed miracles, blah, blah. There's a tons of stories like Mithra, Ra, uh, uh, I can't remember. There's a bunch of other stories that have similar stories, to the Jesus story. Um, and it all is based on this astrology of on December the 21st, the sun rises and we're in, this is the beginning of winter. Uh, days are shorter, nights are longer, stuff like that. Nothing's growing. Um, you can't plant anything, it's cold. Uh, people sit inside and I'm thinking, let's put it 10,000, 20,000 years ago. 
even middle ages during those times people are still living in huts stone structures and stuff they didn't have heat they're walking on ground floors dirt and stuff everywhere you know um i damn dude what were we talking about <laughs> hey don't worry it happens to me I was, um we were talking about the basically the pagan stories the okay with christmas yeah yeah so they they believed in a lot of astrology and during this time like christianity was really building up at the time she had a lot of the pagans that still believed in their gods and and how it all worked with nature so on december 21st it's a weird thing uh the sun rises in the sky and on december 21st 22nd 23rd and I think into the 24th, but for three days, it rises and it sits on the horizon for three days when the rest of the time had been like, it had been moving down, right? Every day got shorter. Well, then on December 21st, it like stopped. And um, after three days, it rose one degree. So it goes into the whole Jesus story of when Jesus died, he, he was risen after three days. Um, it's sitting on the cross, which there was a constellation in the sky called the Crux, which looks like a cross. And in and, and the atmosphere on the horizon, I believe the sun rises where that is. I'd have to go back and really like think about that. But I, the, the story of like Ra, an Egyptian, Amon Ra, he was the sun god. Um, everybody worshiped the sun. Um, even I've even heard that Amen, Amen, came from Amen Ra. It's really interesting that a lot of these correlations, of especially like the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Bible, have a lot of similarities. So it makes you wonder, like, where's the stories coming from? Like, not saying I, I, I really love to believe that Jesus was a real person. A lot of there's no, there's nobody to say that he didn't. But that story got attached to him. He was probably a uh, he's probably a nature worker, making miracles from the, the ground with plants and stuff like that. We don't know, um, but we do know that he affected a lot of people. But each one of these these demigods or whatever were had amazing effect on the human culture at that time. So. I don't know if these astrology stories that people saw with their own two eyes, you could see the sun move in the horizon every day. You can see the constellations change in the sky during the different seasons. So they saw this. And I think the smartest person out of the village would notice this, maybe record it somehow. And after a while, it's blossomed up to be this elaborate story that could be pinned on these people. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know where, wouldn't even know where to begin with a lot of this stuff. It's really, it's just really interesting. There was a documentary, it was, uh, dang, what was it called? Sight Guys. Did you ever see that? Ever heard of it? You can probably watch it on YouTube. Um, it's really interesting. The first part's my favorite because it talks about Christianity and religion. The second part is kind of, I mean, it's conspiracy theory documentary, but it's gotten a lot of 
praise for its research that it did. Um, and it was really interesting. You can get back and like research it yourself and really look at this stuff. But the cool thing is, is like on the solstice, you can go outside and witness it. It's really, really cool. So like, I, you know, these stories, Christmas being a, a time of year of, you know, there's death upon us. Trees are dying, plants are dying, but when spring rises, which we know it's going to happen because of the solstice, like everything's reborn. And then they have the summer solstice in June um, to celebrate the coming of the fall and then the winter. Um, so I, before before religions, they I think they watched what was going on around them, um, and then these certain dates got pinned because of astrology. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's really cool. Uh, Easter, and then you have Christmas. Um, you have the solstices and you have, what is the mid part? I can't remember. They yeah. celebrate about mid year too, you know, mm-hmm. in between June and December. But yeah, uh, it's cool. And it's, it's really cool that there's a lot of, new age pagans that want to still kind of, I guess since we're in America, we're able to do that, practice what we want. Um, yeah, but playing around and people running around naked, worshiping the sun. It's interesting. It's really interesting. Right. I watched a thing last night about it actually. So it kind of refreshed a lot of my, my memory and all yeah. that stuff. So have you ever, this is an entirely different now, I thought about it when you were talking. Have you ever, uh, like, gone somewhere and seen your own art or, like, you know, like, gone to someone's house and seen your art, like, hanging up or something? And, like, if you have, how does that feel? Oh, yes. I've had a few times where I've sold some stuff to some people and forgot that I forgot that they were the one that bought it. And I'd go over to their house and see. Or I even have, like, I had these people that lived here in Denver and, I didn't realize they lived together, but one would buy some art and then the other one would buy some art. They're like, hey, will you bring it over to my house? And I go over there and there's like a lot of my work in here. And I didn't realize that they lived with the other person that was buying some art. But yeah, that, it's flattering. I, I get really flattered whenever I have cells in like across the pond, Europe or Australia or South America and stuff. I've had a few cells over there and it's, I've never been outside of the United States. And it's, it's really cool to think that I, I have stuff in Estonia or France and Australia, New Zealand, and I'm not there, but a, a form of me is, and people have seen it. Thank God for social media. You know, when I was a kid, this was a scary, scary, uh, this is a scary, scary job to try to get, to try to like pursue an artist. What are you going to do? How are you going to pay your bills? Blah, 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 blah. We didn't have the internet. Like my parents didn't grow up with anything like that. And they were the ones that were like, this, you know, you might want to be a lawyer, doctor. No, 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 no. So luckily, uh, you know, growing up in the age of technology, we were able to market in ways of not having to post in the newspaper or, you know, certain things like that. So that's really been a huge, huge, huge thing that's helped uh, get me to where I am. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very grateful for all of that. So, and and the younger, the younger crowd, you know, you would think that it'd be the older 
crowd able to buy stuff, which, I, you know, a few of them do, but they're not really into psychedelic art. They're into more traditional. Mm -hmm. um, but the younger crowd, buying it left and right and supporting a lot of this visionary art scene that is out here right now that is literally uh, inspired by the festival scene and being surrounded by a lot of the kids that are buying the artwork because they're experiencing and having these great times. And it's, it's really cool to watch and it's really cool to be a part of and super grateful for all these kids that are out here. I have to give it to you when I was in school, hard for me to even afford things and like, you know, let me support you buy some prints and stickers and stuff. So it's, it's really awesome that they do that. And I try to get back as much as possible when I can, um, like a print here or there extra, especially if they're going across the pond, <laughs> you know, we get a little, you'll, you'll get an extra one just because shipping's expensive. So. Yeah. I, I always thought that I was like, I always wondered like what it was like to um, see your own work and someone be fascinated by it. You know, the one thing yeah. about art that's in just so interesting is the fact that it's something so different than any other form of like um, artistic, like presence, human presence. Right. You have music, which is still vocal. You mm -hmm. have um, like anything like, uh, like sports, which is kind of um like a person, like you have to watch a sport. I mean, you can listen, right. but it's not really. Um, right, yeah, there's there's more yeah. senses to the sports too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and But like art is like, you can have your own experience through someone's art and you can also, like there's like different experiences you can have. You can have your own experience through someone's art. You can have the world's experience through someone's art and you can have the artist's experience through, someone, through their art. And so I think it's fascinating. Like, yeah, you can do that through music too. But it's different because they're saying what they mean, you know. Uh, right. Art is very interpretive. Uh, yeah. So my question for you is, um, maybe you don't have one because you've done so many paintings and things like that. But can you recall one of your favorite paintings and like what was going on during the painting, before, during, after, and what the painting was of and things like that, you know? So I have a few, you know, whenever I'm. When I'm painting a lot of the times, uh, I'll either get attached to it or I, I won't get attached to it. And there have been a few that I'm attached to, so I'm not in a hurry to sell it. And if I post it and it gets a lot of a lot of likes or comments, then I usually am not really even fast to sell it then. Um, I like to hold on to the ones that are a little bit more sought after but it was an interesting call because there have been times where I'll spend months on a painting. Like my heart, sweat, and tears go into it, you know, like it really means a lot to me. And then I'll have another painting, like in the time spent on that, I'll have another painting going on and, and I'll work on it. And I might spend two or three, four or five days on it, depending. And I can literally, and this has happened so many times, I'll take the painting that means a lot to me that I'm like, yeah, this is the one I'm really proud of. And then I'll have this one that I spent like a couple of days on that it means really nothing to me. It was just me painting, like getting something up. And I'll hang them up next to each other. And people will walk by the one that I'm like, yes, this is mine. And they're like, that's cool. And then they'll look at the one that I did in a couple of days. And they're like, wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. 
And I'm like, what's going on? Like, you're just, this is like my, uh, this is my baby. Now, like, yeah, that's, that's cool. So I have a few of those too, that people are like, yeah, it's not, it's not my favorite, but I think that what it comes down to is there's certain things about the process that I was attracted to that I liked that a, a, a non-artist or a person that doesn't understand it is not going to see or understand. Um, they just, they're, they're viewing the painting. I'm viewing a technique that I did in the painting that they're not going to know anything about. And that might be a reason that I'm super attracted to it and like, I'm proud of it. And I want to hold on to it. And other people don't really see it. And I scratch my head trying to figure out like, why? why don't? But I think that has a lot to do with it when you really break it down. Mm-hmm. It was something about the process that I liked that maybe I wanted to hold on to that I could look at later, <clears throat> kind of see what I did. Because it's like a it's like a math equation. I mean, you can do it multiple different ways. There's different ways of going about painting or drawing or whatever, but you still want to get that same outcome. I mean, they're all going to be a little different, but in your head, you want to get that same outcome. But you got different ways of going about doing it. So getting getting that that problem right, it can it can be hectic sometimes. Um, so yeah, I don't there's some that I love, some that I hate. <laughs> but I I, I, I I think I keep a lot of them in my room. Yeah. Well, this one behind you, could you like describe this one? It this like really long one. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a collab between my buddy uh, Pharaoh One, Brian mm-hmm. Simmons. He's he's a local artist out here in Denver as well. He's a street artist. He does a lot of mural work. But he, me, and him have hit up some paintings. We got a we got a mural downtown as well. Um, but he, I do a lot of grayscale paintings, and he's very confident with his color. And so that was something great to like work with because I can sit here being not very confident with my color schemes and then watching him. So like our, our fusing together was great. We've done four or five pieces plus a mural. Um, plus he's a really cool guy. So like we're into the same kind of stuff. He's into a lot of Egyptian, ancient culture stuff. So am I. So I, we put our, put our mix on it. So he has a lot of this brightly colored with these cats going on and I've thrown in a lot of the background and I do a lot of figure arts. I, I played with the face, did a little bit of the patterns in the in the headdress or the helmet. So it's it was a fun piece. We named it Colors of My Soul. So where does the names for certain paintings come from? Does it come easy? Does it come hard? Where where, where oh, does man. it come from? So I I I fixed that problem. I had a hard time always thinking of a, of a cool name or, I mean, you can paint something and, and, and name, and the title is very important for a lot of stuff. I mean, if you have uh, an abstract piece that you really can't tell what it is and you title it something, then that helps the viewer understand maybe what's going on with it. Right. So I, you know, I have a lot of pieces that it's up to your own interpretation. Really. Anybody can really look at this, kind of get what they want out of it. But I, in my time of painting it, there might have been a song I was listening to or a band that I was really into. And trying to think of my own names, I'd have a hard time even remembering what I named that piece. I mean, a lot of times I'll write it on the back for the person who buys it. 
but I have to keep record usually through like Instagram or something like that. Cause I'm going to title it, size it and all that stuff. And the photo, when I post it, they can go back and like see what I titled it, but I have to name them after songs or lyrics so that I can remember. And a lot of the times that song or that band that I might be listening to at the time, which might have a song that I love or a lyric uh, is what is what I'm really into at that, that particular time. And maybe I'm listening to a song and I'm in the midst of painting this piece and I'm like, that's it. That's the name. And it helps me remember it because sometimes it's one of my favorite songs or a favorite lyric. So I, I fixed that problem. I'm trying to figure out names and it's cool. People are like, wow, it fits. I'm over here. I'm like, wow, that's cool. It fits perfectly. And I didn't even have to really think about it, you know? So hopefully I don't get in trouble one day for doing that, but. I don't think so. I don't think he will. It's like a band's title, like yeah, yeah. It's titled. Weird. The cool thing about songs too is like a lot of the times they just take words they say and make it the title. You know, like yeah, yeah. One of the songs, like if they say almost a bunch of times, they say the title is almost. Almost, yeah, yeah. So it's like I think it's part of the creative process of an artist. You know, yeah. They don't want to like overthink it too much in any process of whatever art form you're doing. So any kind of like help or hint or something like that. I've had friends name my paintings for me. Like, hey, that works perfectly, perfectly. Now they have a connection to that painting. You know, they can say like, yeah, I named that painting for him. And I'm like, that's great for me because like I was having a hard time trying to figure out something. So yeah, names are cool. Uh, music for me is one of the, I couldn't paint without music. So naming my stuff after songs is almost like an homage to the band or the song yeah definitely you know i music's universal language and i like to think that music's my passion but i can't really play anything but my god does it hit the chords yeah me, especially when i'm painting so yeah i have to have it it's a necessity for me so one thing about me is i'm colorblind right and so when I look at things, um, I see it in a different light than um, right. most people. And so my my girl, for Christmas, she got me colorblind glasses. Wow, that's awesome. No, yeah, it was, I, I was like, she gave it to me. So her family did Christmas um, on the Tuesday before, I think Christmas was Friday. Yeah. So when they gave it to me, it was like the last present. And I was like, all right, so you guys won Christmas. How can I beat seeing <laughs> color? You know, but That's one of the awesome. things that was was awesome was like I was I, we and my family were walking around um, my neighborhood looking at Christmas lights, and I had them on, and I was a little intoxicated, but uh, <laughs> it was like hitting me so different. Like I was like staring at things and like seeing the difference in things for the first time, and I was like, wow, this is. Is, is, it, is it a bit emotional? I like, um, really. The first time I put them on, it wasn't that emotional. Like, uh -huh. I, I, I was like, I was still trying to figure out. My brain was kind of playing tricks on it. Right, right. To figure it out. And But when I was walking around looking at those Christmas lights, it was, it was different because I'm red, green, colorblind. And that's green is like a color yeah. of Christmas. Yeah. Red's a color of Christmas. <laughs> yeah. So it's like everything was like, like really bright and, uh, fight, bright and vibrant. And right. So it was like it was like hitting me in a different way. And I had to like take a moment back. And it, But it was really cool. So That's great. I'm going to have to stare at art with those glasses on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, man, that's awesome that they did that. That's really fucking, that's a great gift. You can't gift. beat that. No, not at all. That is a very, you know, that's a thoughtful gift. You, know? you can't. 
more than thoughtful. You really yeah. think about it and you're like, what? Like, that's like the, the thoughtful gift out of all thoughtful gifts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. oh man, I could imagine. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Ha super happy for you for getting that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. Sorry. Is every, is it the same on, on the screen? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I gotta, can you hear the phone call? Uh, I said down at the bottom it says Colin. Uh, it doesn't say anything. No, I didn't hear anything. Yeah, so I was uh my girl was actually calling me. Weird timing. I'm gonna tell her that I'm podcasting. Uh I told her, but she must have blanked it. Uh, but yeah, so back to what I was saying, like about um your paintings and everything. Is there a one painting that you can remember the most, like the experience of painting it itself? I remember quite a bit, you know, a lot of the ones that are memorable for me are the ones when I'm live painting. Um, you're interacting with a lot of people who are asking you about what you're painting at a particular time. Um, but I personally, there have, so this kind of, this goes back into the art artist kind of head. So it's like it might not be it might not be amazing to others, but there was a painting I did. It was called Strange and Beautiful, and it was just a painting of a woman, like a interdimensional alien looking woman, big headdress, and she's got a flower, and she's in a little creek bed, and she's playing with a hummingbird. And I did this painting in um all of like a earth tone brown. Um, with just a little bit of highlights and, and darks. But like I said, I was always not very comfortable with my color, like using certain color. I didn't take color theory or anything like that. So I'm trying to teach myself. So being able to pull out a whole painting in that brown tint and, and, and it looked good and I was, I was proud of it and happy. Um, that's one of them that I, I was always pretty proud of. I have another piece that I did at Root Wire Festival back in 2016 and um, I'd get a little nervous when I'd go paint and not having anything on my canvas like showing up with a blank canvas and trying to paint something in a three or four day span very intimidating and I had to go to this festival I flew, no I actually didn't fly in, but I didn't take an already worked canvas. Sometimes I'll take a piece that's halfway done they have something to they have something to look at, and I don't have to feel intimidated by not having anything on there. So I came in with a blank canvas, and I started and finished a piece in a four day span, and super stoked. I loved it. It came out great, and I, I kept it. I just held on to it. A lot of people liked it. It was different for me, so it's kind of one of those. I can take as long as I want to think about what I'm painting in my studio. But when I have four days to paint something, it was probably should have been smart enough to come up with a concept before I got there. But I like to think kind of like on the spot and that's what happened. And it was a four day, you better get it done painting. And, and I was happy with it. So I kept it. That was one of those paintings that I was, yeah. I remember pretty distinctly about painting it and what was going on. It was cool. 
So what is it like to be in the zone in the middle of a painting? Like in the middle of you painting something, what is it like to be in that zone? Because I know what it's like to be in the zone when, um, when I'm doing this and I'm like having a really good conversation or if I'm playing football or if I'm recording a song. But what is it like to be like, because it, it's such precision and such like you're doing it, you know, through your body. Mm -hmm. So what is it like to be in the zone in a painting? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, a free flow. It's like a flow state where you got it with everything. Like, like you said, you know, you do it when you're painting or, or when you're doing a podcast or when you're making music or when you're playing sports, it's, uh, you're losing track of time. Time doesn't even exist anymore. I mean, two hours might have passed. It only felt like maybe 20 minutes went by. That's, that's what I get into. And it's, what can I uh like a martial arts kind of thing is very like you know you're precise you're in your head you know what you're doing you're doing like you're balancing all this stuff you're working your body you know how to work your body it's a lot of muscle memory when you're going in paintings but it's more muscle memory when you're painting the same thing over uh when you're doing a different painting you want to like one of those flow states um you're kind of controlling your body you're 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 able to manipulate the paint, what you're doing with the brush, your your motions with your arms, your hands, like what you're thinking about at the same time. It's it's interesting. It, you know, yeah, I don't really think about it whenever I'm in it either. It's just I'm there. But you're not you're just focused on like what you're trying to do. And next thing you know, it's two or three hours later, which is awesome, you know. I hate to say it, I, I smoke cigarettes and I've cut back and cut back and cut back. And whenever I'm in a like that, I haven't smoked a cigarette in three hours. Oh, so I didn't mean to do that. I meant to do this. Oh, you're good. I was looking up your art. Oh, it comes up on Google. That's good. It's good to know. <laughs> Is this your piece right here? Yeah, yeah. All those are mine. So yeah, that's that's another one. I still have that piece. That's one of my I used to do charcoal, like strictly mm -hmm. charcoal pieces before I painted. And I was never going to paint. I was never wanting to be a painter. The only reason I started painting is because that's what they wanted at festivals. They wanted live painters and I wanted to go to festivals. Yeah. So that was one of the last charcoal pieces I did um, in a, this kind of deity goddess mm -hmm stay with the charcoal and like, i love charcoal charcoal is my first love and a lot of these in here some of them are chalk pastel which i was experimenting with color uh before i actually started to paint this piece yeah. right here the woman with the curly hair and the antlers my hair that was yep that was my very first painting ever this one yeah that's phenomenal for your first painting ever I was, well, you know, it came, I was looking at a reference photo, which is what I was taught, but then a lot of it, I fell back on my comic book, cartoony. Yeah. There was a lot of inspiration. In that that's painting. not you. <laughs> no, no. So that, I think that's a writer. I found out that that's a writer. Um, so a lot of your stuff seems to be um, like goddess or femininely um, interpretations. Uh, where did you get that from? Where did you get that understanding from? It, go, it, it comes through ancient ancient belief systems of like the Venus figure and a woman. Uh, I mean, a woman gives birth. She literally has a portal that she produces life from. And yeah, to 
I think in ancient homo, homo sapiens would, there's a word, they worship the woman. They really worship the woman. They couldn't have life without her, you know? And um, the sacred feminine was a part of every ancient culture. You had Isis. Isis and Ra are the ones that created the earth. Isis is the Egyptians' Gaia. I mean, she's uh, Mother Mary. You know what I'm saying? Like, she is the producer of life. She created earth, Ra, the sun, um, and her made life on this planet. So you got that sacred feminine. It's a very popular sacred feminine. Isis is one of the most common ancient women, like woman that we can remember that was like, she wasn't a real, she wasn't a real person, but she was a goddess. She was a god. She was up there with the rest of them. Um, so I, I, that, that sacred feminine aspect of having to have the woman who was a very powerful person. I mean, childbirth, couldn't imagine. I could not imagine going through childbirth. Um, and then she's like, within a week, she's back at it, doing what she needs to be doing. Like, I, you know, a man can go out and hunt a beast all day, but I don't know if a man could really handle childbirth, you know? So I have to give it to the women. That's, and I was raised by a single mom. So like, I really appreciate the, the strength of a woman and the capabilities that they're able to do. It's mind boggling. Like as a, I'm 36 and like, there's still times I need to call my mom. Mm -hmm. My mom's like, she's on it. She knows what to do and how to get it done. And I really rely on her. And I think that, I think everybody needs to realize how amazing the woman and how powerful the woman really is. Maybe that's, maybe we realize how powerful she really was, you know, mm -hmm. at some point. I don't know why that the woman's been so degraded throughout history, but at one point in time, they were worshipped very heavily. Um, there's I a lot of theories. I think we're getting back into that. I think oh, yeah. a lot of people are realizing that the importance of, um, of women. And, you know, I, th I think a lot of us nowadays are realizing that, like, you know, us dudes are kind of idiots in a lot of ways. And that <laughs> we wouldn't be anything without, you know, our girls yeah, and moms no. or sisters yeah. and stuff like that. So, to, I think there was a time when men forgot and they were like, oh, we're men, we're strong. But it's like, right. yeah, what really is strength, you know? Right. The ability to hit someone in the throat is not really strength comparative to having a child, childbirth, yeah. you know, raising. I think, that's, I think that's where a lot of the balance comes from, from a woman having this emotional, uh, they have a dominance in a lot of sense. Like they're very powerful. The children are listening to them. Like, but you have the man who's going out here and he's physically, strong the woman's like mentally strong um you know i've had many women come across my plate that they could say anything and i'll drop what i'm doing and 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 and, and do whatever they tell me to because they have me I've, I've you know many times i've been in love with a woman so it's just i know i they're very they're very important species around us you know i'm glad they're here who isn't? You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it is. It is insane that I was thinking this the other day, which is a very weird philosophical thought to have. But I was thinking how in interesting and crazy it is that, like, we're designed the same but so different. Like men and women. Yeah. 
we are just, right. we have this, like every species on planet earth, except some that are like asexual or things like that. Mm-hmm. Like some like things that are living that are asexual or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it's fascinating that there's a, there's a designed thing between um, heterosexual animals that right. have, there's two different of the same species Yes, and they're designed to be attracted to each other to have another of the species. Yeah, it, physically, it's weird how we like in in ways how we fit together. You know, um, there was old like origin stories where I forgot. I don't know if this was a Native American or a South American, but it was um, a man and a woman used to be conjoined together, and if you faced them together, a woman would maybe come up to about right here. Your arms went over her shoulders. Her shoulder, her arms went under yours. And they used to say that the beings were a four-legged, four-armed, two-headed being that was split in half. And your counterpart, your other half, is somewhere out there, and y'all would fit perfectly together. How physically we fit together is very interesting. Uh, the the whole thing about the rib, like women have one more rib than a man or something, or we have one less rib. All that stuff's like it's it's really interesting physically how we are made um, and how our brains are wired. Honestly, that's a huge aspect too. Um, how we're able to get along, balance. It's all about that balance. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of relationships yeah. that argue, but <clears throat> you know, being able to balance. dynamically definitely work together, fit mm-hmm. together. That's, yeah. that's another thing is like, you're supposed to argue because you're different people and you're like, the, the reason you work is because you like, I, I'm a firm believer that not, now arguing the entire time, like every single yeah, 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 time, yeah, but I'm firm believer that if you're not arguing with someone, you don't really care about them. You know? that's, that's my, that's my point of view is exactly. Because a like, lot of arguments I think start from you speaking tr- the truth, you know, yeah, if something, if something you're affecting you yeah yeah you care about something enough that you want to verbalize how you feel or your opinion on it Mm -hmm. with your better half so being able to talk it out the argument comes with passion definitely The, the 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 raising of the voice the that's passion that means something that you really feel and believe so being able to work together, talk it out. I mean, we have arguing, but most of the time, I don't think that it's an angry arguing. It's just a passionate argument. It's like, I'm not mad at this person. I'm just like, ah. So I get like that. I'm passionate. I mean, you get me talking about UFOs or Bigfoot. You won't, you won't, I won't shut up. Let's start with Bigfoot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I live in the Pacific Northwest. I told you again. Um, I think there's something out there that's Bigfoot. I was just talking to the last guy on my podcast about, um, I think there's, if Bigfoot exists, it makes sense. Um, there's definitely a Bigfoot of the ocean, just something big and large and intelligent that we have no idea about. Um, but I was more thinking of like the fact that like, if there was something intelligent and walked like that, maybe they're staying away from us as a species rather than find them. Absolutely. I, you know, I've, I've heard many theories I've seen since I was a kid. I've, watched, I've probably seen every Bigfoot documentary there is, right? Um, I, I, as I've gotten older, there's been a couple of different thoughts that have crossed my mind about what they are. 
But the, I saw a recent documentary that was really awesome. It's probably some of the best video evidence I've seen in like a really long time. But it was a guy's in the Canadian military. I forgot what part of Canada. Um, but, he, you know, he's not in the military anymore, but he has survival tactics. He understands how to survive in nature by himself for long periods of time. And he believes in the Sasquatch. So he went out, I think he went 15 miles out into the, the forest of Canada. He says he's run across like three or four different packs of them. They don't live together, but they know that they're there. They obtain different parts of the mountain. Uh, they're nocturnal. They come out at night. They have day watchers that sit there in the day and watch while the group sleeps. So I watched his documentary. It's pretty interesting. Um, They'd have to be super intelligent for us to have never found a body um, to be that elusive and not be able to capture one, which I don't, I hope nobody ever tries to kill one if they see it. Don't try to capture it. I mean, if you're shooting anything, shoot a camera, you know, shoot a camera, not a gun. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I used to live in Oregon too. I didn't live there for very long, but like, when I was there, I really wanted to join one of those Bigfoot search teams and yeah. kind of just go out because that is, is literally it's fascinated me my whole life. But, the, you know, whether they are some type of missing link, that's hard for me to believe because I would think that we'd see some other forms yeah. sprouting up somewhere. Um, I've also heard the theory that they are so Johnny Quest, you know, you know, Johnny Quest cartoon back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So there was a really cool episode that, you know, whoever wrote this episode, I thought was a pretty clever opinion or theory as to what happened. Uh, an alien, it was an alien spaceship that had crash landed and their ship had broke. And at the time we were, it was probably when we we're still hunter gatherers living in caves, very hairy. It might've even been a, uh, 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 Neanderthal times. I mean, Neanderthal lived during Homo sapiens a little bit. So the story was about a UFO that had crashed here during those times and wasn't able to fix their ship because Homo sapien hadn't evolved enough yet to have technology. So they've waited on this planet for thousands of years for humans to evolve enough to make technology that would fix their ship. But when they crash landed, they could turn themselves into the beings that lived on the planet, which looked like Bigfoot. All the species on the planet looked like Bigfoot. We were like Neanderthals, right? So the Sasquatch sightings that we would see would be like them breaking into like parts houses, stealing parts and, and, and wires and stuff like that to fix their shit. And so they got Johnny Quest's dad to go down there and help him fix the spaceship. And it was all just a big cover-up. That, so they could fly away on their ship. I thought it was a really cool story um, about them being aliens and being able to disguise themselves as that. But, you know, there's no telling. They could be interdimensional beings for all we know and just somehow come in and out of our realm. I have no idea. But I, there's been too many people that have seen it. I can't just see it. Uh, you didn't see anything. Y'all y'all saw something. Mm -hmm. You definitely saw something. I would love to see it. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah, I would love to see that. I feel like everyone would love to see a Bigfoot. Man. Even wait, if they don't believe in it. Well, that's the main ones. I want to see, I won't see it. 
I just don't want to get, I don't want anybody out there with a gun. that's like, oh shit, pow, pow. So when I was, it was 2008, there was a hoax and it was on CNNBC. It was like all over news broadcasts where these people claimed that they had shot a Bigfoot and killed it. And it looked real. I mean, it looked like a real Bigfoot. It took about three months before one of these um, Hollywood um, studios found out that one of their Sasquatch suits went missing. And it was just like a body. It looked real. But they claimed they had shot a Bigfoot and killed it and took a picture of it and they broadcast it all over the news. And half the world thought that we had really found Bigfoot. But it was a hoax. So, I don't know. It'd be cool to find one, yeah. but I'd, I'd hate to hurt it. I'd hate yeah. to just leave it be. Do you believe in men in black? Yeah, I just, you know... Whether there's been different, I've heard different stories about them. I've heard that they could possibly be aliens themselves. Uh, we all know the story of the movies where they're just government officials. I think any of any of those like theories could be possible, um, but the fact that we haven't seen them in twenty or thirty years makes me think that they might have been just some government thing where they were going around asking questions of people who thought they might have seen something because there's 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 definitely whatever they are they're here they've been here they've been around i'm talking about like aliens but i don't like to use the term aliens we don't know if they're extraterrestrial or interdimensional or if they're from our planet period you know like I think there's a lot of misconceptions to that about what they've told us about aliens and what what's really going on. And I think, you know, I, I don't know if you ever, it's like ayahuasca. I don't know if you've done a lot of research about DMT, which is the ingredient in ayahuasca. It's, it's one of those things where, yeah, it doesn't affect your judgment. It's not like taking acid or a mushroom and you're like, I, I'm tripping. I know I'm tripping. DMT doesn't affect your judgment. Like literally everything changes right in front of your eyes. And you're like, what's, what's going on? Like what's happening? And I've had experiences of entities coming in front of me, like trying to communicate and I can't focus on them because they're just patterned out moving around. I, you know, dimethyltryptamine has been around for since the beginning, there's no telling how many ancient cultures have come in contact with it and have these alien experiences, these entities that come to them and try to talk to them. I mean, I've seen it. It's weird. Um, I can't explain it. I know a lot of people that have similar experiences. So is it a hallucination? Hallucination is based on your brain. But if the person next to you seeing the same thing at the same time, then something, something's up. So I've always like thought about it as being like higher dimensions. We're in the third dimension. We're fourth dimensional beings. Like we're aware of our surrounding, but we're in a 3D world. Um, I, who knows what a higher dimension looks like? I mean, we have a light, um, a certain light span that we, we see that our, our corneas and our retinas and our lenses of our eyes see. Cats have a completely different, light source and colors that they see. Like when cats are staring at something in the corner that we don't see, 
they see something because they're seeing a higher dimension. Um, so I don't know if that has a case of whenever we're seeing these entities or these aliens, but I think that uh, you take uh, dreaming, like uh, a lot of uh, abduction cases. I was asleep at night. I was asleep. I woke up. My body was paralyzed. Um, I saw these entities in my room or I saw a big bright light and then I was sucked through it. Well, that sounds like a DMT experience. It sounds exactly like a DMT experience. Oh, wait. So you were sleeping at night. You were in REM sleep. Your pineal glands dripping DMT right now and you wake up. Your body's paralyzed. Well, when you smoke DMT, your body's paralyzed. Your, your, your eyes start water and you yawn. Your brain's like, holy shit, I'm dreaming right now. So your body does this. Uh, it's connected. It's all connected. So when you're sleeping at night and you're dreaming, your body's paralyzed. It's because your DMT's dripping out of your pineal gland. But when you smoke DMT, you're like, your brain's like, holy shit, I should be asleep right now. So you're just kind of like, ooh. Um, and then see all this crazy stuff. So I, I think that these people who have these abduction cases at night are having DMT experiences and don't realize that it's a DMT experience. The only thing that they can think of is I saw these entities come into my bedroom and I got pulled through a light. It, it's weird. It's spacey. It's out of this world. I can see how it was related to that. But when it comes down to like flying saucers, um, I don't think that's interdimensional. I mean, I don't think an alien needs a spaceship to fly around if he's coming from a higher dimension. I think they can just kind of come here somehow. They have their way. Flying saucers? It's hard for me to believe that an alien from a two, two light years away in another galaxy flew here in a spaceship. We have problems trying to fly to Mars with our bodies growing old, right? We have to like, do something to keep our bodies young until we get there. Why are they flying from a whole other place unless they're like time jumping or space jumping or something to come here? Now, my theory is maybe, maybe aliens were here the whole time. Maybe they're subterranean. Maybe we don't see them. You know, I don't know what's going on, but I think that the whole UFO conspiracy was we found a UFO in the ground from thousands of years ago and you can go back and look at your hindu culture your chinese culture um a lot of these ancient cultures who like the sumerian i mean the oldest the oldest recorded history we've ever uncovered like written history not the cave drawings but like recorded history there's the sumerian tablets they talk about the anunnaki coming here from the 12th planet to mine for gold very detailed this is their origin story you have the first emperor of China. The, their origin story is the first emperor of China came here in the belly of a fire-breathing dragon. He started the first empire, ruled for 100 years, and then the dragon came back and picked him up and they flew away. So it's like, these were these UFOs like uh, Eric Von Daniken's talking about, like these ancient astronauts, were these real? Were they already here on this planet? Were they advanced an advanced species living on this planet that was able to fly around these flying saucers. And we have airplanes. During World War II, you had to go down there and like, we were island hopping, right? During World War II, at the end of it, we were land on islands that these natives had never seen 
another person before. And we were landing on their islands and airplanes. They thought they were gods. You can go to this island today and they have erected airplanes because they thought that that was their god. Now, I can see how that had happened thousands of years ago. Maybe there was an advanced species living on this planet, flying around. We had these hunter-gatherers, these lower species of homo sapiens that are seeing this and not knowing what it is. Something happens. It gets buried in the dirt, crash lands. And then you have this whole, uh, these UFO conspiracies. So like, where, where is these UFOs coming from? I think our government found it, duplicated the technology, and the UFOs that we're seeing now are just government ships. That's what I'm thinking. Does DMT, sorry, I'm like, not changing, right, I was just taking that hat off <laughs> in my head. Um, but this is the question I have for you. Do you think that... Um, not do you think, did DMT have any effect on certain paintings of yours? Because um, oh, yeah. you were talking about it back then and I wanted to ask you, but I didn't want to stop you because you were talking about some good, good shit. So <laughs> I was wondering, does, how, did DMT have an effect yeah. on um, certain paintings and how, what effect did it have and things like that? Definitely did, man. It, um, you know, I, I'm like one of those people, I don't want to like pro it or con it or anything, but like, DMT changed my life. It was the most um, profound experience that I think I've ever had. And I've, especially my first few times of actually getting off on it, it was all out of pure curiosity, um, trying to understand, and, and also realizing that a lot of ancient cultures had been messing with it as well. So I kind of wanted to see what it was all about. And man, it, it just, it took me for a whirlwind. I was trying to depict the patterns I was seeing, the entities I was seeing. Like, I don't know if you can see, I got this piece right over here. It's got a lot of triangle pattern work in it and stuff. And like, that's all I saw first time I ever got off. Everything turned triangle pattern. I mean, my friends turned into geometric patterns with heads that I couldn't understand what they were saying. I mean, my brain was overloaded. I didn't know what to think. And coming out of that, yeah, I, I really wanted to try to depict what I had seen. And um, yeah, it's definitely, it comes out in almost every painting in some form or fashion. Like it's, it's, had, a huge, it's had a huge effect on me. And it's not, it's one of those things, I'm scared to death of it. I'm scared to death of it. I don't, I don't think that doing it to just do it is the right thing to do. I think it's definitely a sacrament for any ancient culture that has been messing with it. They didn't just do it to do it. And we come into the festival scene, a lot of kids that are just smoking it like cigarettes, joints. And I... I don't think that's the best thing to do. I think you need to really appreciate and respect your psychedelics. It's like playing Russian roulette. You're playing with your brain. You know, you open that door, you can't shut it anymore. Once you've seen that, you can't unsee it. You don't want to be the crazy person. You know what I'm saying? Um, not that they're crazy. They've just seen stuff that they can't explain. And I can stand by them and say that I seen a lot of weird stuff too and i can't explain it but you know don't fall off the deep end with it 
um, because I think you can really use, like, lose touch with reality about what's going on. Um, we live in this world around us for a reason, you know? These things, like DMT, is in our heads, produced naturally. It's in every living organism. It's the one chemical that everything has in common. Everything. So that's, that's cool. It's something I feel like, well, we should really try to understand it and appreciate what it is and what it's doing. And I, I think we're at very early stages of trying to figure out what's going on. But I also think that it's highly illegal for a reason. And not that it's because it's unknown about, I think that it's illegal because they know exactly what it does and they don't want everybody doing it. Yeah, that's a good point. For what, for, yeah, for like what reason? I don't know. I don't, you know, I have my own theories. I can go down rabbit holes all day, but yeah. Yeah. It's also for me who I think that I'm somewhat not a rookie, I guess. I still feel like a rookie sometimes mm-hmm. when I do it. And it's, 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 it's a really interesting thing. I just, I feel like it's one of those things you need to be careful uh, and understand that like in our reality and world, we have a balance, good and bad. We have to have a balance. You're going to have that there too. Whatever dimension you go into, whatever that is, there has to be a balance there too. Yeah. It fascinates me. The fact that an, a drug like alcohol that kills more people in the world than any other drug um, is just gets a pass. Um, then, and like now marijuana is starting to be like, they're starting to pull away, which, which is fat, which is good. You know, that's the first one that's got it. You know, that shouldn't have never been illegal. You know, they got afraid of it. Uh, William Henry Hurst, hemp was going to be the next thing that they created paper with. Um, they had a lot of political, had a lot of political reasons as yeah. to why it wasn't. Facts. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, um, I, I'm not a drinker. Yeah, I've had times. I, was, I went to college. I went to the bars. I'm not, I, alcohol, I get nothing good from it. I, I, get nothing done when I'm doing it and I feel like shit the next day uh, I get nothing done um, I, yeah I'd be like one of those people I'd rather eat a couple hits of acid than try to drink a six pack of beer I'm going to be able to function better sounds crazy but I can't do it alcohol to me is one of those things where it's, it's definitely an inhibitor it you know it's a depressant it will keep you from doing shit and I can't say that pot won't I mean, pot will make you lazy too, but drinking alcohol, it'll, it'll mess with your motor functions. You can't drive, you can't walk, you can't speak, um, can't pick up on certain things like communicating with people. You might not pick up on the fact that they don't want to talk to you. You're, you're like, blah, blah, blah. so certain aspects about that, of how, what it does to you psychologically is very interesting for the fact that they allow it. You know, let's put a bar downtown. Let's put a liquor store everywhere. You can buy beer any time of the day. Get it. But we have rules. Can't drive. Well, you put the bar downtown. I have to to go downtown. Well, that's the problem. You got to figure out how to get home. The rules and regulations. Like, if there wasn't bars downtown, they wouldn't have people to pull over for DUIs. Like, there's certain reasons these things are, are in place. And it's not for our benefits to make money. 
And I hate to say it, alcohol is one of those things where it's, 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 it's not for the, the better of the human culture. It's, it's definitely got its part in history. Definitely parts of where it's, it's been beneficial. Hell, I could see a husky bringing in a barrel of whiskey to a person that's buried in the snow. It's going to keep them warm. It's got enough nutrients in it as food. I understand survival with it. I understand certain things. I also understand altering our state of consciousness as a human. Like, that's also why we drink it. But the overall effects, oh, man, the addiction, um, it, it's all bad. And, like, I, I sit here and I smoke weed every day. So I'm also a hypocrite saying that stuff. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like pot has better outcome. I think I just read that they, the people who drink more, like usually like during the pandemic had switched over to smoking weed more than they have started drinking. So I thought that was cool. Um, like I said, I'm from Georgia. My family was, uh, grew up in the Bible Belt. They're religious. Um, and I have some relatives that, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old, I dare not tell anybody I was smoking pot. Um, because of what they might think of me as my family. And here it is now, pot's legal in half the United States and medicinally legal in certain states that are, it's not completely legal yet, right? So I had my cousin hit me up and he's like, so like my mom and dad are smoking weed now. And I'm like, what? Like they're super religious and I would never thought that they would ever do anything like that. I'm like, this is amazing because like they're trying to, I think it was for anxiety. It was for certain, like they were going to the dispensary to get it for medicinal reasons. And I think that that's great. Like I don't smoke it medicinally. I do, but I smoke it more. I, I, I smoke it all day sometimes. So if I had it the way it was medicinally yeah. smoked, I'd probably not smoke until six o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. I can get my work done during the day, get off relax, smoke a joint. Then I get tired and you want to go to bed. Works out perfectly. Yeah. You smoke a joint when you first wake up, foggy headed for the rest of the day. It might actually inhibit you from getting stuff done. So there's the pros and cons with any, with any drug, I guess. So and uh, CBD, because CBD has a lot of positive um yeah. I uh I take these little Zen CBD capsules every day um, for my anxiety. It's, it's amazing. Things ever, yeah. Uh, you know, whenever they started really doing the research, I remember seeing the the old man who had Parkinson's or had some kind of like the shaking disease, and he was an ex-cop. He'd probably been retired for 30, 40 years, but he, he had a disorder, and they would give him CBD tincture, and within 30 seconds, his, his shaking stopped. And for somebody to have grown up their entire life and be told that this stuff's bad for you to lock people up for it. And, and he probably did that to numerous people. And then it's the one thing that's actually saving his life now. Irony. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I just hate that we have, and I think that about all, all natural plants. I mean, peyote, uh, San Pedro, psilocybin, you know, pot, all these different, these, these things are there for a reason. They've been worshipped as 
for thousands of years for, for a particular reason. And now we're in a state of science where we can actually research this stuff. I think we should really be taking advantage of that because they haven't stopped doing it in their cultures. And we're over here trying to figure out why they're doing it in their culture. Well, let's, let's figure it, let's figure it out. Let's really try to understand what's going on scientifically. They believe in it, it's yeah. faith. It's faith to them. Mm-hmm. They've been doing it there for thousands of years. They believe in it. It's back we to that. Um, it's back to that. Uh, what I said earlier about we think that because we have iPhones that we're more that we're better than other humans. You know that humans lived before, more advanced or smarter. But realistically, oh man, tech more so, technologically have you ever, smarter. There's a documentary called The Botany of Desire. It was a book, but they made a documentary about it. Um, it's really interesting because the guy is a scientist. Um, I don't know what he studies particularly, but it was his day off. And this is like his little like journal that he's writing. He's like, I was out in my garden. I was watering the plants and fertilizing them and all this stuff. He's like, I got to noticing all these bees flying around. They're like pollinating and doing everything for the plants. And he's like, these plants don't do anything. They literally just sit in the dirt. They don't move. They make their own food. The bees pollinate for them. He's like, the bees are just like slaves to the plants. While he's talking all this, he's got his like water pitcher there watering them. He's like, I'm watering the plants. I'm fertilizing them. He's like, I'm a slave too. He's like, I, we're, we're, we're doing all the stuff for these plants. Plants are the only thing that defy gravity. They grow straight up. Everything else has to lay down. I mean, they get so tall at some point that they have branches fall down, but they're always growing up, you know, reaching for the sky. Very interesting. They're just as, as they are on the top, they are at the bottom. All the roots connect. Um, and then some of them produce these chemicals that make us question our reality. When we think, like you said, we're the most advanced species on this planet. Plants have been here surviving way longer than we've ever been here. And another interesting fact is like mycelium, like mushrooms. Scientists are baffled. They're like, this is a very alien thing to our planet. It doesn't seem like it belongs here. It literally takes up the second top layer of soil over the entire planet. It's kind of like a brain connection. Everything grows through it. All the trees, all the plants grow through the mycelium. And they all can communicate. It's really interesting. They can literally communicate across the world. Wherever the mycelium is growing, there is a brain circuitry. And they can communicate. So I, you think about when we cut roads into the ground, we're cutting off signals from that. So I studying these plants and, and, and fungus, yeah, like this, super, super advanced to the fact that like they don't have to do anything. I mean, we have plants in our house. We're watering our plants. We want them to look pretty, uh, fresh air, like all the qualities of the plant but it just sits there and it's like a cat. We're cleaning the cat litter box out because we want to, I guess, you know, we want a cat. We want this plant. So we'll do whatever we can to make this plant survive and live. So I had the botany desire. It was really cool. A uh, little thing to, to watch or read because it really shows you your enslavement to plants, but we don't really think about it at all. <laughs> 
No, I've never once thought about being a slave to a plant until you just said that. We do. Like, we want them to look pretty. We water them. And also, like, when you go into, like, the wilderness and the forest, you can almost feel, like, that the trees are alive and, like, they're almost oh. conscious. Like, you can oh, yeah. feel the tree's consciousness, which is fascinating because you don't think of, like, plants as having, like, a soul. But, like, in a sense, like, you could feel, like, a tree, like, they've, like, aged. You can feel, like, them having some presence, which is just fascinating yeah. because it's, like, it, like, makes you reevaluate how you evaluate other things relative right. to yourself, you know? Yeah, you become a tree hugger. I remember when I first became a tree hugger and understood what it really meant. Like, you, you can pick on hippies all day, like the tree huggers and the vegans and blah, 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 blah. But no, they, they got it. Like, I remember the first time I, I tried acid, I remember I was planting, I, I don't know if it was a pot seed I found in my weed, but I had a seed and I was planting it. I was sitting next to a baby, like a little baby tree that was on its way to being rubbing the trunk. I remember going and hugging this other tree and I just, the connection that you feel, I've never lost that connection after that. It's to a plant and a tree are the most majestic things ever, ever. And having a light shine on it at night, you can sit there. That's, that's a viewing experience right there. You can just sit there and look at a tree all night with a light on it. Yeah. So we are almost two hours into this. Is there any last topic that you would like to get to? Hmm. Covered aliens, Bigfoot, are we've done pretty good. We've done pretty yeah. Good. <laughs> um, I think I have a couple more questions for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is there any big painting that you're working on right now? Um, not, not really. I have this is what I started last night. Um, it's not very big. It's like 18 by 24. And it's a figure That's abstract. Nice. Thanks. I, you know, I'm a figure artist, but I get I overthink a lot. And the abstract allows me not to overthink so much. Um, but I, I still get to paint my figure, which is like, that's the fun part to me. That's what I enjoy most is the painting of figure and the shadows and the highlights and getting the percent of uh, perspective, right. And all that good stuff. But like the abstract, like dealing with something like that and trying to put like a realistic background. Oh man. I mean, it's overwhelming. You might not know how to do it. You might not have done it correctly. You might have to paint over some part. So just being able to just like, around the figure so much like easier on my brain you don't have to like overthink it so much nicer but yeah that's what i'm working on right now um we gotta have any like larger larger scale pieces i have a witch that i've been working on i guess i can show you i haven't painted on it in probably um, six months but it's it's gonna be uh Oh, that's that's wild. Yeah, it's got a lot of symbology in it. And yeah, like I want to. It's like an educational thing. Like symbology is a big thing that gets misinterpreted. Um, like 
let's see, thinking about, so I had the devil's pitchfork. People look at a pitchfork immediately think of the devil or Satan. But like Poseidon had it thousands of years before. Um, so symbology, I remember in college learning about Moses and um, the depictions of Moses on cathedrals and in, in certain books back in the day, like certain Bibles or in stories. Uh, the translation for the halo was misinterpreted. So for a couple hundred years, Moses was depicted with horns coming out of his head instead of a halo because the, the word was misinterpreted. That's a huge, huge misinterpretation. So witnessing that in art history class and realizing like, oh, we're human, we make mistakes. Symbology is a huge thing. So I put a lot of symbology in that to let people question it. I guess the witch, she's standing over a pentagram. Was the pentagram like a devil symbol or is it a pagan symbol? What does it really mean? So my research of the pentagram is the four seasons. Or you have, um, yeah, it was four seasons and yourself. Or the, um, I actually have to go back and look at that. But it was a really cool um, explanation as to the pagan symbol of it and why it was turned upside down. It's not that it's turned upside down. It's that that point is pointing at the person. And then the other four are the four seasons. So I was like, whoa, okay, that's why the interpretation of being upside down is bad because that's what they thought. I see where they, the, the devil goat comes out of that, you know, how the drawing is. So symbology is one of those things I really like to play around with um, to kind of have people question it uh, and understand it better in a sense because it can be, it can be very misleading very misleading sometimes definitely well that's a good way to end it thank you so much for coming on my show yeah, man, I, I appreciate you having me man it was awesome it was, talking it was, it was really ta- it was really fun talking to you you're more than yeah, welcome yeah. to come on anytime again um, yeah hopefully after covid and everything um maybe we'll see where the show goes and maybe i have a studio you can come visit and yeah where are you you're in oregon what part of yeah. oregon so right outside of portland all right okay yeah yeah i used to trim and tiggered yeah, I used to live. I lived. I lived in Portland for a little bit. Yeah, it's fun. I'll definitely have to come and visit. Episode 38 with John Gay. He was definitely one of the most engaging guests I've ever had. He's definitely going to have to come on again. If you guys like this podcast, give it a like, share, and a download. Tell five of your friends why Calling Demands Answers has the best new host in podcasting. And as always, stay demanding.